you know what, though? What? Friend of the show, Anna Brading, was over, and she asked me that question. I went, no. And she goes, oh, my God, you have to. And she, then she did all of us. Oh. And uh, there's information about us. Well, it's just like doing a Google search, though, isn't it? A lot of information. It knows I, do, it knows I does art. It knows I does art. You certainly don't do grammar. It knows I do art. Oh, okay, right. Smashing Security, Episode 348, Hacking for Chimp Change, and AI Chatbot Birthday, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 348. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And I'm on a secret mission. Oh. Somewhere in the Middle East. And that's why we don't have a guest, because it makes things slightly more difficult when one of us is away from our studios, doesn't it? Because we yeah. don't have staff. We don't have staff. It's all us. We don't. <laughs> Shall we kick this baby off? Sure. First, let's thank this week's wonderful sponsors, Collide, Panoptica, and Vanta. It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Uh, it can only be summed up with two words, crypto craziness. Ooh, that's a good title. Okay, and mine is Chatbot Gibberish A Go Go. <laughs> All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chum chum, should I say chum chum or chums chums? I like chum. We've had feedback from the listeners. One of them at least said you should say chums even when it's just Carole. Yeah, I agree. It's our 348th episode. Some people have been here, like, for more than seven years. <laughs> chums, chums. The balmy world of the blockchain. The fabulous fantasy of earning a fortune by investing in non-fungible tokens and cryptocurrency. It has been a wonderful stream, hasn't it? An effluent which has flown past us, feeding us time and time again with content for this podcast. I thought it had been flushed down and gone down the, the drain. You may have thought that. You may think that, Crow. You may have thought it was just a passing fad or something else that you passed. But it pains me to say that there are still people who are utterly bonkers for all of that. And um, I'm not the only one in pain. Did you hear about that party which they held a couple of weeks ago for members of the Board Yacht Club? You remember the Board Yacht Club? Yes, I yes, I remember that. They they've spent uh, crypto guys on a boat trying to organize a party and then just ran off with all the cash. Well, well no, 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 not quite. No. <laughs> That's what I remember. The Board Yacht Club is um is basically a club you can join by buying chimpanzee NFTs. So you buy a picture of a chimp wearing a sailor's costume or something like that. As an artist, I take great offense. Right, right. And and you're then a member of the Board Yacht Club. And one of the perks of this trendy club, which has been joined by the likes of Kanye West and Paris Hilton and, and, and all those sort of people. Uh, one of the perks of being in the club is you get invited to fabulous parties, like the one they held in Hong Kong for Ape Fest earlier this month. I don't know if you've heard of Ape Fest. I know. See, I knew they were about parties. I knew it was about yeah, parties. Yeah, yeah. There's certainly a lot of parties. So 2,000 people showed up to this party in <laughs> in Hong Kong. My closest friends. My closest friends. <laughs> <laughs> Very exclusive club. Uh, and they they pretended, you know, they were dancing around in, you know, blissful ignorance to the fact that the NFT marketplace had sort of swallowed itself in the last 12 months. And there was this big concert. But now it's been revealed that party goers who enjoyed 
the ultraviolet uh, light display at the concert. Well, they had to go to hospital because of skin burns. Shut up. The excruciating eye pain that some of them say that they suffered. Oh, so- my God. He got a deal. You know, 2,000 people showed up. Look, what can you... I need an ultraviolet light. Nothing flash. What's the bargain basement price you can get? Nothing give me? flash. A lot of flash by the sound of things. <laughs> and so I shouldn't laugh. I mean, this sounds quite unpleasant. So people could be... Apparently, they've got a condition called welder's eye. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, wow. It sounds painful, doesn't it? Imagine that. Anyway, so that's one of the craziness which has been going on in the last month. Uh, but the normal, the normal news from the world of crypto uh, is that, of course, there's been a big crypto theft. And you'll say, not news, Graham. You say, Graham, Graham, that's not news. There's always been a crypto theft. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Every single month, last year, every week. Yeah. In fact, in fact, there's been at least four or so this month. Monero, MEV, Bot, CoinSpot, and Poloniex. So there's been a, a series of thefts. Some of them have been attributed to a North Korean hacking gang. I think they're called the Noroth Group or something like that, um, who've been hacking organisations. I'm particularly interested in the Poloniex one. And that's okay. one which I primarily wanted to talk about today. Poloniex, uh, if listeners don't know, is a cryptocurrency exchange. And wouldn't you just know it, they had oh, just a trifling $120 million stolen from them last Friday. Chimp change. Chimp change, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what they should call it. Um, <laughs> of course, it's not really their money. It's users' money, which they had placed in the exchange. So $120 million worth of cryptocurrency, uh, which was stolen. And uh, the hacker didn't exactly try to hide their tracks. They had a wallet which they offloaded the assets into en masse in exchange for Ethereum and Tron tokens. And the name of that wallet was Poloniex Hacker. So, you know, it's a bit of a clue there, perhaps, that something uh, suspicious was going on. Now, Poloniex, they said, look, we can we can handle the loss. Don't worry. Don't, don't worry, they say. Don't worry about this. Don't worry. We've got so many funds. Yeah, we can cover this. Exactly. We've made so much money out of you cryptocurrency investors. Chimp change, guys. Chimp change. Chimp change. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 can, we, can ha- we can handle this. And I guess that's supposed to reassure its customers. The customers think, oh, this is absolutely fine. They can handle losing $120 million. To them, it doesn't seem to matter at all. They're totally comfortable with that. I would actually feel a little bit more comfortable maybe if they'd said, well, this is a problem. But they're saying, not a problem. <laughs> let, let me give them more money because they don't seem bothered. Yes, exactly. They don't seem bothered. <laughs> they can handle this. They're obviously skimming <laughs> off so much at the top. But then then the founder of Poloniex, a chap called H.E. Justin Sun, he, uh, literally he, H.E., uh, tweeted over the weekend what he described as a white hat bounty. Now, of course, we've had bug bounties before to do with cryptocurrency exchanges, but this wasn't a bounty for anyone who could find a security flaw in Poloniex after the hack. But it was something rather more akin to a beg bounty than a bug bounty, because begging for the return of the money. He wrote, we are offering a 5% white hat bounty to the Poloniex hacker. He said, please return the funds to the following wallets. And he gave some wallets. We give you seven days to consider this offer before we engage law enforcement. When was this, can I ask? This was just just in the last few days, last few days. 
Yeah, I don't think they're the first people to do this. They're not the first. This has happened before, and um, yeah, there's a precedent. So, so there's been precedent, and sometimes it's actually worked. Sometimes people have actually given the money back, and I think sometimes it may be that the hackers actually think well, this is far too much of a hassle to turn these tokens which we've stolen into real cash without getting caught. Just give me just half of it, and I'll be fine. Well, in this yeah. case, Poloniex are saying, "Give us our one hundred and twenty million dollars back." And we'll give you six million dollars. Legal tender, no cops, everything above exactly, board. everything above board. Now, Carol, would you trust them to pay you your? If you, if you, I don't know if you are the Poloniex hacker, but if you are, would you trust them to pay you your six million dollar reward afterwards, or would you say, "Give us six million dollars first, and then we'll give you your one hundred and twenty back"? Which order would you do things? Maybe I would start like you give me a dollar. <laughs> well, Carol, Carol, you're a ter- you're terrible at this because if you think about it, all you have to do just give them one hundred and fourteen back, and they've already you've already got six million of theirs, haven't you? Oh, so you can just right, right? Yes, yeah, but that but it's illegal. Well, it is illegal. That's just a trifling problem. That's well, and they once you give them the hundred and fourteen back, they're not going to swap you for. They're not going to care about the six million. They're going to give you anyway. So they're going to say, "Hey, copy copies, find them." Well, if you if you know the vulnerability, if they haven't patched the vulnerability, you might go back and steal some more. So the, you're right. There's no guarantee that law enforcement might not still be called in, or indeed that the cops decide to investigate you regardless. Tell you what, though, if they don't pay the money, it's it's bad practice. I think if you're if you know because if you're going to say that. I think you should do it. I guess it, it's a scam you as a crypto, as a hacked cryptocurrency exchange could only pull off once, couldn't you? Yeah, you're going to have a, you're going to be black booked for life. And you're also, yeah. It's a sticky pickle though, isn't it? It's a sticky pickle. Oh, it's a very good show. I don't know if this would count as a sticky pickle for your sticky pickle podcast, but it's cryptocurrencies which find themselves in this position are in a bit of bother. I think sometimes hackers are too, because on the very same day as the Poloniex hack, someone found a vulnerability with another cryptocurrency thing, which allowed them to mint 6.7 million of Raft's stablecoin known as R. Now, there's lots of words in there. There is a thing called a stablecoin, which is like a cryptocurrency coin, but a stablecoin is pegged, for instance, to the US dollar. Mm-hmm. So someone stole $6.7 million worth of this thing called R. That caused the price of R stablecoin to drop from $1 to just a few cents at one point. And the hacker obviously wanted to cash out. So this is the same day as Poloniex. The hacker was trying to cash that out, was converting his stolen millions into Ethereum in order to launder and cash it out. But... Alas, they had a bug in their code and they accidentally sent (laughs) over $3 million worth of the stolen cryptocurrency to a null address, making it permanently inaccessible to everyone in the universe. No one can ever touch it ever again. They just they flushed it down the loo effectively. (sighs) Now, the problem for this hacker was they only had seven Ethereum left. But because of the way... You have to spend Ethereum to fund the actual attack to convert into Ethereum. They actually ended up with a loss. They actually spent more money, around about $8,000 worth, (laughs) 
during the course of this oh. hack. So they've ended up, the hacker has ended up with less money than they started <laughs> with. So they've not only lost all the stuff they've stolen, but they've also got a gap in their own wallet as well. So there you go, folks. Don't don't steal cryptocurrency. Maybe don't even touch cryptocurrency. Don't go to NFT parties. Um, do something more profitable and point, you know, something with a bit more point with your life, perhaps. That's my advice. <laughs> well, thank you. Hackers can make mistakes just like regular companies can as well. Most of your stories yes. that you enjoy telling the most are when hackers make mistakes. It's, it's, I, do, I do revel in incompetence. Maybe it's just a way of feeling better about my own life. I, I think it I, is. I've got a few I stories I could share as well about my current trip. Maybe I will next episode. If you get back. What do you mean if I get back? <laughs> Carol, what's your story for us this week? So... Funny, we are fast approaching ChatGPT's first year, its first birthday. No, is it only one year? In the hands of cool cats, numpties and everyone in between. Yeah, 12 whole months, Clue. Huh. And uh, I was wondering, how are you feeling about these language model chatbots? Like, do you use them for fun ever? I, d- I don't. Do you, do you chatbot yourself? Well, I I'm a, I don't have to chatbot myself, girl. I could just talk to myself in the mirror. <laughs> I'm a bit like Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver. I don't need a chatbot to do that. But do you ask about yourself? Do you kind of go, hey, who's Graham Cluley? No. Have you? Uh, no. I imagine it just comes back with a Wikipedia entry or something. Do you know what, though? What? Friend of the show, Anna Brading, was over and she asked me that question. And I went, no. And she goes, oh, my God, you have to. And, she, and then she did all of us. Oh. And uh, there's information about us. Well, it's just like doing a Google search, though, isn't it? A lot of information. It knows I, do, it knows I does art. It knows I does art. You certainly don't it do knows grammar. I do art. Oh, okay. Right. Anyway, if they were all taken away, all the chatbots out there, would you shed a tear? No. In your personal life? It's not affected you in any way. It's not like Instagram or for you, Twitter or X. Yeah, well, Twitter's not Twitter anymore either, is it? I don't know. I, I think I can live without an AI chatbot quite easily at the moment. Because it isn't going anywhere. There's a lot of money floating around in the AI chatbot world. Yes. Imagine all the greedy bosses out there dreaming up possibilities of growing their businesses with fewer staff, big, bigger returns, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So what is the big problem? If I said chatbots, what's the big deal? When we, when we look back on this and say 10 years, what was the big deal when they came out? Well, they, they talk nonsense. They say things which aren't true. They're not reliable. They're not trustworthy. They cannot be trusted. Exactly. And we've covered that, you know, in the show over the year, right? Is so it? in August, for example, the register wrote that the Purdue team analyzed ChatGPT's answers to 517 stack overflow questions. Uh-huh. To assess the correctness, consistency, comprehensiveness, and conciseness, there's a lot of C's there, of ChatGPT's answers. Another one. The results analysis shows that 52% of ChatGPT's answers are incorrect. Yeah. And 77% are verbose. So that was, that was the team's conclusion. Although if you went on any web forum and asked a question about programming, I mean, that most of the answers would be inaccurate. And, Go to Reddit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know. <laughs> But that's the problem, isn't it? It, it, it? The internet is where it's scooping up this stuff. And, it, you know, the internet's full of nonsense. Uh-huh. And it, it's not just chat GPT. You know, Bing reportedly made several mistakes during Microsoft's public demo of the product. 
So when Bing was asked, and we may have covered this in the show, see if you remember, uh, what are the pros and cons of the top three selling pet vacuums? And uh, it gave a pros and cons list uh, for the Bissell Pet Hair Eraser Handheld Vacuum. And in the list, it wrote limited suction power and a short cord length of 16 feet. However, of course, the vacuum is cordless and no product descriptions online mentioned its limited suction power. If it's a pet vacuum, you don't want it to have in too powerful a suck because otherwise you'll be... S- You'll be saying goodbye to your guinea pig. There, there goes your gerbil. <laughs> if, your, if your gerbil was already stuck somewhere and you needed to suck it out, then you want a powerful suction. I, I'll leave that to your imagination. Maybe you want like a dial. You want a dial to yes, turn it up and good down. Idea. And... Good idea. <laughs> so limited suction power. Like, Do these chatbots have a sense of humor? Or maybe it's just a bunch of teens in a warehouse pretending to be a complex language model. Doesn't... Um, Elon Musk, hasn't he launched a, a chatbot on Twitter? And he says it's the only one with a sense of humour. Unfortunately, I don't know that Elon Musk knows what a proper sense of humour is. So he's possibly not the right judge. Well, I think him launching it is funny. You know, there's the punchline. <laughs> <laughs> so enter a company founded by a bunch of ex-Googlettes, right? Called Vectora. And in a blog post late last week, Simon Hughes, he's an AI researcher and model language engineer at this startup, he announced on the blog that they had launched an open source hallucination evaluation model, basically a lie detector. Right. And used it to compare hallucination rates across the top, you know, uh, services, OpenAI, Cohere, Palm, and all of that. A hallucination when it comes to AI, it, it is when it makes stuff up. Is that right? Right. It's like, uh, who is the biggest liar, basically, is basically what he's trying to right. find out. But they don't want to call it that. They call it hallucinations. Either way, right, it is turning a potentially useful answer into a steaming pile of doggy doo-doo, isn't it? Right. And it might be fine if you're at home going, who is Graham Cluley, right, on one of these. But if you're to rely on this stuff for healthcare or financial assistance, like a mortgage application or business advice, all I can say is, uh-oh. Yeah, not good. Yeah. So in the post, uh, Dr. Hughes laid out the problem, talking about the different types of hallucinations. Basically, the article was pretty hard to read, or the blog post, for me at least, right? There's a lot of acronyms, and AI is on a world that I'm super au fait with. Did you think of asking an AI to summarize it for you, Carol, in simple language? <sighs> you see, I would have, but that would have introduced errors to my story, wouldn't it have? <laughs> so I decided to go the human route, and I was very grateful that New York Times journalist Kade Metz clarified some of the areas for me. So basically, how often, the question is, right, that they want to answer, yeah. is how often do chat spots hallucinate, act a lie? They say it's impossible to gauge because chatbots can answer any question any number of ways, which is why students absolutely love it. Mm. And there's no real way to establish a rate of hallucinations because it's taking everything from the whole wide world of web. Right. So you can't do a BS rating. So Dr. Hughes and his team decided to perform a single straightforward task that could be readily verified. Summarize a news article. So the prompt they offered was you are a chatbot answering questions using data. You must stick to the answers provided solely by the text in the passage provided. Right. You're asked the question. 
provide a concise summary of the following passage covering the core pieces of information described. And so when calling the API, the, the passage token was then replaced with the source document, meaning that they should take everything from that bit of text that they've provided them. This is, this is a bit like the advert where they go, here comes the science. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really impressed, Carol. I'm, I'm not. That was that a hair commercial? <laughs> Have we got lovely, beautiful hair? Because us girls couldn't handle it. <laughs> That's all we're worried about. Is it shiny? Yay. Even with this super specific prompt, there was a considerable license for what I will call hallucinative creativity. I just made that term up. Um, so here's an example, right? So the original passage they provide, this is the shortest ones they had. The plants were found during the search of a warehouse near Ashbourne on Saturday morning. Police said they were in an elaborate grow house, quote unquote. A man in his late 40s was arrested at the scene. So take that stuff, make me summarize this for me. And the Palm, this is Google's uh, AI effort, right? Chatbot effort. Police have arrested a man in his late 40s after cannabis plants worth an estimated 100,000 pounds were found in a warehouse near Ashbourne. So it inferred the article was about cannabis plants and added the estimated street value, neither of which was in the source text. Yes, yeah, I thought it was cannabis as well. But thinking about it, it could have been like a rare orchid or something. Maybe it's uh, someone who's collecting. Sage? Right. <laughs> what about aubergines? Aubergines. I suppose police wouldn't be involved coming over. Wee wah, wee wah, no, you're aubergines. No, <laughs> and these guys were able to try out different chat models against each other, see who performed the best and the worst hmm. doing these tests. And the results were OpenAI's tech, so ChatGPT4 and 3.5, were the best with a 3% hallucination rate. Meta, so that's, you know, or Facebook stuff. Yeah. It's a hallucination rate of 5%. Right. And Google systems, so they're called Palm and Palm Chat, they had the highest of them all, and they ranged between 12% and 27% hallucination rate. Blimey. So isn't that huge, right? That's like for every 10 words uttered, three are gibberish. Like, okay, I'm going to try. Okay, Graham. Okay. You are a witty, generous, kind human with smallish peoples. Well, okay. I was going to say, you started off really well. Well, there's, th there's 30 percent that's untrue. Yeah, but, uh, well, well, Which I ones? Well, <laughs> just all a bit personal. Uh, the problem is, sadly, very difficult to solve because, as you pointed out, it uses the entire internet, its learning base. And as we've said more than once in this show, there's a load of crap floating out there. So during the research period, they attempted to use a rival language model, right? So it could check the original language model's summarization and point out errors. Right. Okay, This everyone thought this was genius. Do you think this solved the problem? <laughs> no, I don't. What do you think happened? I suspect it made things worse in some way which I haven't yet predicted. It hallucinates too. Oh, of course. Or lies, right? <laughs> so they compare it to driverless cars saying you can't make driverless cars perfect and never crash, but God, you can try to make them better than human drivers. Right. So I guess the plan here is to make them more reliable than humans. I mean, I know some very unreliable humans. <laughs> I also know some super reliable ones. Thank you very much. 
Anyway, watch this space, because as we said earlier, there's a lot of bankroll in these waters, and people are not going to give up but their AI chatbot dreams easily. <sighs> or nightmares. Bloody AI. Thank you to Smashing Security sponsors, Vanta, where you can shortcut compliance without shortchanging security. Expand the scope of your security program with Vanta's market-leading compliance automation. Vanta's 5,000-plus global customers report saving over 300 hours in manual work and up to 85% of cost for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, GDPR, custom frameworks, and more. And with Vanta's 200-plus integrations, you can easily monitor and secure the tools your business relies on. From the most in-demand frameworks to third-party risk management and security questionnaires, Vanta gives SaaS businesses of all sizes one place to manage risk and prove security in real time. As a special bonus, Smashing Security listeners get a whopping 20% off Vanta. Just go to vanta.com slash smashing. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash smashing. Panoptica provides users with deep visibility, prioritized risk assessment, and actionable remediation from development to runtime. This comprehensive cloud-native application protection platform, or CNAP, provides an essential holistic view to secure the entire cloud application stack seamlessly. With integration of security into the DevOps and CI-CD pipelines, Panoptica fosters a security-first culture and allows users to detect and resolve security issues at every stage of the development life cycle. Get more information. Go and visit Panoptica's website at panoptica.app. That's panoptica.app, And thanks to Panoptica for supporting the show. If you work in security or IT and your company has Okta, this message is for you. For the past few years, the majority of data breaches and hacks you read about have something in common. It's employees. Hackers absolutely love exploiting vulnerable employee devices and credentials. But imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. Here, credentials are useless to hackers, and you can manage every OS, even Linux, from a single dashboard. Best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues without creating more work for IT. The good news is, you don't have to imagine this world. You can just start using Collide. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and it makes sure that if a device is not trusted or secure, it can't log in to your cloud apps. Visit collide.com slash smashing to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash smashing. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something like could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better not be... Well, my pick of the week this week is not security related. Excellent. Possibly slightly privacy related. <laughs> Maybe right. a little bit security related. Anyway, the the thing is this. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but recently YouTube has started producing some irritating pop-ups. So if, like me, you're one of those people who likes to 
block adverts on YouTube uh, and stop it sort of pestering you and interrupting your videos all the time. You might have been running an ad blocker, which did something about that. And recently, YouTube has started blocking the ad blockers. And it pops up a thing. I didn't even know such thing existed. Oh, well, too late, Carol. Now they don't work. Now, they, now they're not working. Now, oh, so you're going to have to pay money. Well, that's the thing. They want you to pay money. Yeah. To access other people's content. It's not cheap either. I don't know how much it is. I, I just, I, I objected in principle. I know loads of people have this. Yeah. There's friends of the show that have been on the show that they pay every month. That's something like 15 bucks yeah. or 15 quid It's a called month. something like, is it called YouTube Red or Red RedTube, I think, is actually a porn site. Yeah. I don't think it's called that. I don't know where you're <laughs> handing out. No, I think it's just YouTube without ads. Okay. All right. Anyway, the thing is, I don't like YouTube stopping me from blocking its ads, right? But more than that, I don't like the way YouTube tracks what I watch and collect information and then send me down some rabbit hole of suggesting conspiracy story videos or, or whatever it may be. I just don't like it doing all that. So I've been looking for alternatives to YouTube. Now, the thing is, YouTube is the Google, well, it, is, it literally is the Google of videos, isn't it? I've got the, the clues in who owns YouTube, but it is, it is the search engine for videos, right? So if you're looking for a video, you are going to go to YouTube rather than Vimeo or Dailymotion or one of those other mm -hmm. ones. So you can't really go to an alternative one. However, I have found a desktop app for YouTube, which cuts out all the ads, doesn't do any tracking, doesn't give YouTube any information. It allows you to use YouTube much more privately. And it's called FreeTube. And how much information does it get off you to in order to do this wonderful job? It says it isn't grabbing anything. It says all your user data is stored locally. <laughs> it's never sent or published to the internet. Did you read the T's and C's? Well, other people <laughs> wiser didn't. than me. It's been around for years. I've, I've said that it's quite legit. Oh, okay. It's open source, so I, I hope one person okay. at least has looked at the source code. That's the thing with open source, isn't it? There's always like, oh, you can all check the source code. Yes, but does anyone ever look at it? Um, but anyway, FreeTube is a YouTube client for Windows, Mac, and Linux. You can import your existing subscriptions. You can check out YouTube videos without having to go to YouTube, the site, which is a much more pleasant experience so free tube links in the show notes is my pick of the week but it's illegal what do you mean it's like you're basically stealing content aren't you oh am i well, i don't know well i don't know i think it's arguably ethically speaking yeah well then i think youtube should take action against free tube and <laughs> okay, great do so well, you're getting us into dodgy ethical areas here i don't know i don't I'm not a lawyer, Carol. You sound defensive. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Carol, what's your pick of the week? Well, this past September, four new short films mm -hmm. from the celebrated filmmaker Wes Anderson hit Netflix. Oh. Mm-hmm. This is 14 years after he brought uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox to life. Yep. And he is back on Netflix with another Roald Dahl adaptation, or rather four of them. Yeah. The world premiere of the wonderful story of Henry Sugar aired at the Venice International Film Festival. And Anderson brings along three other films, The Swan, The Rat Catcher, and Poison. Have you seen any of them? Oh, dear, Crow. 
I think we might have a disagreement on our hands. Uh oh. Because I have seen the Henry Sugar version. Uh huh. Let's put it this way: I liked it about as much as Dave Bittner enjoyed Licorice Pizza. Oh my God! Really? <laughs> See, I remember the Henry Sugar story from when I was a kid. So do I. I had the book. I liked it. With all the short stories, I loved it. I loved that. Yeah, loved all that. And then I thought, oh, it popped up on Netflix, and I watched it, and I thought, God, this is irritating. Didn't like the style of it at all. Didn't enjoy it. Too clever, clever for its own good. I thought. Well, uh, okay. Well, I didn't even get to. I didn't even get to talk about it yet. But uh, Graham's given his uh, his shake of his head. I thought it was brilliant. So apparently Anderson was thinking about adapting um, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar for more than two decades. But there was one problem. He struggled with how to tell the story without using Dahl's magical words. Tell me about it. He did struggle. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) And he came up with a fabulous plan. And that was to recite Dahl's exact words directly to the audience while acting them out behind them like set pieces cycling in and out, very Wes Anderson, as though in a stage play. And are you a fan of Wes Anderson's work generally? I've liked some of his films, yeah. Ah, okay. Well, I'm, a, I'm much more of a diehard because also style-wise, wow, wow, right? Well, yeah, it, it, they look amazing. It does look amazing. And Wes Anderson movies always look amazing, yes. And they're quirky. And that's kind of important to me in a thing that you're watching. Yes. Also, yeah. there are extremely long shots where an actor like of the name like Ralph Fiennes or Benedict Cumberbatch or uh, Richard Ayoad's in it or Ben Kingsley. So, you know, those little people. Sir Ben Kingsley. Sir Ben Kingsley. He insists on being called Sir Ben Kingsley. Well, I would too if you, you know. He's very insistent on it. Wait till I get my... Uh, you know, my ladyship or what is it? I don't even know what it is. Uh, so, you know, at some points, that's like five minute cuts, right? Where you, the actor is just there on screen. There's nowhere. There's no respite. If they trip on their words, they got to yep. start the whole scene again. And it's kind of marvelous to watch like that. It's kind of acting at its highest form because they you see that they have to actually work for what they're doing. They can't just call cut every single second. So those of you out there with a Netflix subscription or access to Netflix and a love for Wes Anderson and his genius, Graham, you can look out for these four films. Come on. The Rat Catcher is just horrific to watch. It's incredible. I don't, I don't know if I could try another one after watching the Henry Sugar one. I don't know. I'm talking to, you, I'm talking to my chums. <laughs> okay. All right. yeah. Sorry about that. I'm Sorry. talking to my chums. So chums, it's my pick of the week. It's the Wes Anderson films, four of them, starting with The Wonderful Story of Harry Sugar. Find them on Netflix, and that is my pick of the week. And boo-boo to you, Grim. <laughs> well, that just about wraps up the show for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter, and last have a G. We also have a Mastodon account. And to make sure you never miss another episode, follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast apps, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Overcast. And thank you, thank you, thank you to our episode sponsors, Panoptica, Fanta, and Collide. And of course, to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest list, and the entire back catalogue of more than 347 episodes, check out SmashingSecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
I'm so, maybe I'm just a grump. Maybe I'm just... What? No. No, no. Maybe. Come, 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 come. It's possible. You rarely complain about I know. I, I, I'm normally just... I just... I'm just not... I'm just... <laughs> You're so cheery. Bright side of life. Doo-doo. That's you. Do-do, do-do, do-do.